So this was supposed to be our church weekend away. Uh, we prayed for good weather and that prayer was answered. What we didn't anticipate, of course, was the lockdown. And so the subject that we were going to look at on our weekend away was the whole realm of emotional health uh, and, the, and the Christian life. Like, how, how does that whole thing work to be emotionally healthy and to follow Jesus? Now, we don't have the weekend away because of lockdown, so we've, uh, we've kept the subject and we've made it the series that we're starting today. We're calling it Faith and Feelings, and we're thinking about emotional and spiritual health in lockdown. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at very specific emotions that we may well be feeling because of the stress of this current situation. We want to look at them, we want to understand them, we want to see what the Bible has to say, and hopefully uh, we can be helped and we can grow uh, through this series as we think about uh, emotional health. Now, today I just really want to introduce the subject, and the reason I want to take a whole message to introduce the series is because traditionally... I suspect that the church, not just this church, but the church, I suspect we haven't done a great job. Uh, not of uh, addressing and of um, helping people to understand the whole realm of emotional health. Traditionally, maybe you grew up in a church. Maybe you have uh, had church experience over the years. Or maybe you've never been to church yet. And that's, that's totally fine too. But if you grew up in church... I wonder if maybe you grew up with the feeling, well, the feeling that you're not supposed to feel. Uh, so that when you do feel, you sort of feel bad about feeling. That's uh, a common view in church world, that somehow uh, that the real life, real human life, is about knowing the right thing and choosing the right thing and doing the right thing. And really, feelings just kind of come along for the ride. Feelings, if anything, are, are a distraction. They're a negative. They're something that uh, is maybe a result of living in a messed up world or something like that. So we get trained that we should feel bad if we feel. Now, I think actually that's quite an easy misunderstanding to correct from the Bible. We can see that in the very beginning, God created humans, male and female, in his image. We are his image bearers. And it doesn't take much uh, either experience of life or reading the Bible to see that humans have a whole host of feelings. That our feelings are integral to who we are. Once you come to the New Testament, you come to Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the four documents that tell about the life of Jesus. Jesus was fully God and fully man. In fact, one time his disciples said to him, Jesus, just show us the Father, then we'll, then we'll know, just show us the Father. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus reveals to us what God is like. And what do we find with Jesus? We find that he had so many feelings. Emotions were an integral part of Jesus' life. He didn't set us an example of a perfect human and have no feelings. He, he felt anger, he felt uh, tiredness, he felt hunger, he felt thirst, he felt sadness, he felt uh, love and compassion. In fact, I found a list of 39 distinguishable emotions that are described in the life and ministry of Jesus. 
But actually, even more than that, even more than the example of Jesus, I'd encourage you to read one of those Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, whichever one uh, you like. Um, I was going to say toss a coin, but they don't have four sides. But you, you pick any Gospel you want and go through it and look at the emotional life of the people that meet Jesus. What you'll find, I think almost without exception, is that people have more emotion after meeting Jesus than when they arrive. In some ways, it's a bit like the miracles Jesus performed. People would come with no sense of sight. And when Jesus healed them, they had greater sense of sight, right? And no sense of hearing healed, now they could hear. No sense of anything in terms of being alive, because some people were actually dead when they encountered Jesus. And he raised them to life and they could feel everything. But more than that, the people that Jesus healed and encountered went away with joy, with excitement, with, with all sorts of emotions stirred within them. And I find that fascinating to watch that because so often life is so numbing, isn't it? It's like life takes its toll on us and we don't dare to feel anymore. Some of us struggle to know what we feel. Others of us uh, despair at our emotional reaction to things. But, but somehow we, we, we seem to be out of sync with the way we were created. And yet when people met Jesus... There was this stirring, and it was almost like he rewired their feelings. It's a fascinating thing to look at. Now, actually, you may have a slightly more nuanced uh, understanding of feelings. Maybe you've been raised either in a church setting or not. It, it doesn't really matter in this sense. But maybe you've been raised to think not just that you should feel bad about feeling, but a slightly more uh, nuanced view that you feel bad about feeling bad. That's slightly different. Feeling bad about feeling means feelings are bad and we should you know, not have them, suppress them, get rid of them, avoid them, ignore them. But if you feel bad about feeling bad, then what you have is a situation where you sort of have two categories of feelings. You have good feelings and bad feelings, positive feelings and negative feelings. The, the positive feelings are, are things like happiness, contentment, peace and joy. And when you have these feelings, then all is well. But the negative feelings are things like anger or fear or, or guilt or sadness or grief. And when you have these feelings, well, they're negative. They're wrong. They shouldn't be there. And so either it's wrong to have them or the person that made you feel them has done something wrong. And so what we tend to do when we think that there are both good and bad feelings is try to live in the good feelings and try to squash or numb or get rid of or reject those negative feelings. There's a problem with that approach too, isn't there? I mean, think about it. Some of those positive, good feelings may actually not indicate that things are all good. You may feel, for example, uh, very contented because you have enough money in the bank to pay your bills, but, but you never give anything to anyone. And so your contentment actually is an indication of selfishness. 
Or, or maybe you have a, a feelings of happiness, even euphoria, excitement, all the feelings that come, the fluttering heart, the fluttering, you know, the, the kind of butterflies in the stomach, everything that comes with starting a new relationship. But what if that relationship is not a good relationship? You still have those feelings. You still feel happy that somebody's showing you attention, that there is uh, the potential for something to develop. And yet, what if that's not a healthy relationship? Simply saying, oh, he makes me feel happy is no indication that he's worth uh, pursuing a relationship with, right? Or take the, the, the uh, uh, emotion of uh, on the other side. Just because things are positive feelings doesn't mean they're the right thing. But equally, just because something feels bad doesn't mean that it's a bad thing to feel it. For example, fear. In the middle of the night, when uh, glass smashes loudly downstairs and you wake with a start, with a, uh, you're gripped with fear, almost a terror, right? It's this overpowering feeling. That's actually maybe a good thing. It means you're fully alert. It means you're not going to go back to sleep easily and sleep through whatever's going on downstairs. And it means you've got that adrenaline pumping so that when you go downstairs, you can address the situation, whether it's an intruder or... A glass has slipped off the, uh, the draining rack onto the floor and smashed. It's actually a good feeling to feel fear when there's something to be afraid of. It's actually a right feeling, if you like, to feel sad or even grief when someone you love has died because that was not the way it was supposed to be. And what about when someone comes to you and points out something in your life that's wrong, some way in which you've, uh, you've, you've done something that was unhelpful or wrong or, or whatever, and you feel guilty about it. It's so easy, isn't it, to just lash out and to blame the person for making you feel bad, as if the feeling indicates that it must be wrong to feel that way. But actually, them telling you may be the greatest gift you can receive, if only you'll be humble enough to receive it. You see... Good feelings don't automatically mean all is well, and bad feelings don't automatically mean that everything is, is wrong and messed up. And, and so our default approach to, to constantly crave the good feelings and to do anything we can uh, to get rid of the negative feelings, whether it's drinking or drugs or distraction or entertainment uh, or, or just suppressing or, or trying to squelch or even, here's a very Christian thing, repenting. I'm feeling afraid, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm feeling guilt, Lord, I'm so sorry. Even that can be avoiding the reality of those feelings. What if actually it is not that we should feel bad about feeling, and it's also not helpful to feel bad about feeling bad, but instead to recognize that God created us with an incredible capacity to feel and, and actually our capacity to feel becomes a, a huge part of our engine to do the things that we need to do. Maybe our feelings are there to serve a whole host of positive purposes in our lives. Maybe God knew what he was doing when he made you. And so instead of suppressing or rejecting or numbing or repenting of our feelings, maybe there's another approach that we can take. Let me give you an illustration and then we're going to turn to Psalm 73. If you have a Bible, feel free uh, to grab it at this point, but we're going to come to Psalm 73. But just before we go there, I'd like to give you an illustration 
about feelings. A few times when we've gone over to America uh, to visit family and friends, we've stayed in a, a particular place where we've got a friend who is incredibly generous and, and helpful, and he has lent us a vehicle to use. I think we've had it twice, and I have really enjoyed having use of that vehicle. In fact, I would say it's probably my favorite car that I've driven. It's a, a big, a very American, big, wide, huge engine, super comfortable seven-seat vehicle. It's not, it's not just air-conditioned, it's got air-conditioned seats, right? It's, it's got so much, everything you can imagine, it's, it's got it. And I love driving it because there's so much information there on the dashboard. There's, there's the dashboard information. There's even information being uh, reflected off the windscreen to me as I'm driving. There are all these lights and, and little indicators on the dashboard. A lot of them are kind of warnings, you know, so uh, all the normal ones, oil pressure, tire pressure, that kind of stuff. But also things like a warning light when you're drifting out of your lane. Actually, the thing I love about it is that there's not just a warning light about that. There's a, I don't know what to call it, but there's, there's something in the seat that vibrates on the side that you're drifting so that you get perception in your seat that you're going wrong. I mean, it's amazing, all this information that's coming at you. It's got warning lights about people who are in your blind spot or if the car in front is braking quicker than you are. There's just all this information. Then there's all the positive stuff too. There's, there's kind of like um, you're in your lane indications. There's your speed, obviously that's a good thing uh, to know your speed. There's the direction that you're traveling in, which is super helpful in case you're gonna get lost like I can. There's all of these positives and negatives coming at you from the dashboard. Now imagine that after driving it for a couple of days, Melanie comes out uh, to find me in the morning with, you know, I need your help with something, and, and, and she finds me in the driver's seat with some of that tape, I forget what you call it, if, if this was a live, you know, um, church situation, I'd ask you and you'd tell me, but you shout it at the screen, doesn't help. That kind of tape that you put around the wall when you're painting, masking tape, is that it? Um, Imagine I was putting masking tape all over the dashboard, covering up all of the lights, or, or maybe just half of the lights, just the negative ones. She'd say, well, what are you doing? I'd say, well, these negative lights, I don't want them. I want to be able to drive without them. She'd think I was mad. And she'd be right, because those lights were put there for my benefit. And that's the way emotions are in our lives. Our emotions are given to us by God to indicate something to us and to prompt us to act. What we need to do is to understand what they mean and to know what to do. That's what we're going to think about, to understand what they mean and to know what to do. Now, let me just clarify one thing before I go to Psalm 73. Because you might be listening to this and saying, oh, this is all very well. You're being very positive about feelings and emotions and so on. But aren't, isn't it kind of inherently dangerous to live by our emotions? Let me clarify. Just as I'm not suggesting it's a good idea to blank out the emotions on our dashboard, I'm not going to the opposite extreme and suggesting that it's a good idea to stick our head through the steering wheel and drive only seeing the dashboard. 
Okay, that's one thing you can take as a free gift from this message. If you ever see somebody driving with their head through the wheel, simply looking at the dashboard, do not get into their car. It's not a good way to drive. I mean, imagine the chaos. If I, all I'm doing is looking at the lights, well, there's the speed. I like speed. I might as well go faster. How dangerous that would be. And in the same way, we don't live our lives just going from one feeling to another and, and making every decision based on feelings. But our perhaps greater problem is that we cover them up, press them down, try to live without them when God has given those feelings to us for a purpose. So let's go to Psalm 73. This is a psalm that I've preached before, and uh, I'm sure you may have heard it if you've been around Trinity for a while. It's kind of one of my go-tos because I find it so incredibly helpful. It's a psalm that is written by a, a chap called Asaph. Asaph was a contemporary of David. He was a, uh, so that's a thousand years before Jesus. So 3,000 years ago, how cool is it that we get to look at a 3,000-year-old document? And so 3,000 years ago, there's this man called Asaph. Asaph was a musician, a worship leader. Uh, just like Anina was just leading us from the piano, Asaph, uh, presumably not with a guitar, but he was kind of a song leader for the nation. And we come into Psalm 73, and it's a fascinating psalm because it kind of takes us on a journey, uh, sort of a story almost, uh, from Asaph. And he begins in the first couple of verses. I'll, I'll read parts of it to you. If you don't have a Bible, it's fine. Look it up later and, and read it through. It's well worth uh, reading this psalm. If you have one, please do follow along, of course. But Psalm 73, first two verses, he says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Sounds good. That's the kind of thing you'd expect from a worship leader. But... Verse 2, but, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. We're catching a glimpse here into something that we all recognize in ourselves, and that is that it is very, very possible to have a contradiction in our emotions, right? To feel something, but to feel something else. Not only is it possible for us to have that as humans, it's possible for us to have that as believers in God. Not only is it possible for us to have that as believers in God, it is possible for those in leadership who are supposed to be, you know, right up there spiritually, even somebody like Asaph, national worship leader, even someone like him can have a real contradiction in feelings. Yeah, God is good to Israel. I believe it. Yeah. But actually, my feet had almost stumbled. I'd almost slipped. He'd almost, he'd almost gone over the edge and gone over to the other side. Why? Well, he tells us his reason in verse 3. The reason he felt this tension within him, verse 3. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he, basically the issue is that he's looking at these other people all around him, people that don't care about God, arrogant, wicked people who, who eat whatever they want 
and they live to a ripe old age. It's almost like in today's terms, they smoke 40 a day and they live to 102. They eat everything you can imagine filled with cream and yet they never have to go to the doctors. Everything they do seems so wrong. They cheat on their taxes, they sell drugs, and yet they drive the nicest cars and the law does nothing about them. You can kind of imagine the tension. Well, he's looking at those kind of things and he goes through from verse 3 down to verse 15 describing the reality that he was feeling. And it's a confused reality. But here's the thing about feelings. If we could travel through time and, and come to Asaph and, and excuse the clothing and you know the, the time travel thing, if somehow we could have a conversation with him and we could say, Asaph, it, it's crazy. The way you're thinking, it doesn't make sense. You're thinking that all these other people are, are, are you know, prospering and in vain you have been righteous before God. You're thinking that, that it wasn't worth it and we just want to tell you that you're wrong. You know what he would say? He would say, the evidence is right in front of my eyes. And we'd say, well, it's your feelings, man. It's your feelings. They're all mixed up. No, it's not my feelings. It's what I see. You see, as humans, we're very good at always being convinced that we're right. Have you ever, ever had an argument with someone who is ready to swear up and down, left and right, black and blue, that actually it was like this? You know for a fact that it wasn't. Or even better, maybe you're a, a dispassionate observer as other people are arguing. And sometimes one or both of them will be absolutely convinced because their feelings are so overwhelming. They're so convinced in the reality that they're describing. And yet you know for a fact that's not true. That's what's going on with Asaph here. And he comes down to verse 12. He says, behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. His reality is confused because of what he sees and what he feels about it. He doesn't recognize how confused his reality even is. But then he comes to a point of clarity. This psalm has a turning point in it. It's a fascinating psalm because uh, the first half, it seems like he is the one that's slipping, about to go over the edge. He's looking at the wicked. They're prospering. They're being arrogant. They're dismissing God and they're getting away with it. And he's like, this is crazy. This is mad. This is wrong. Maybe I should quit. Maybe I should give up. And, and all of these thoughts are swirling. All of these feelings are overwhelming him. And then there's a turning point. The turning point comes in verses 16 and 17. I can imagine Asaph walking, going out for his one hour of daily exercise, right? And he's walking through the streets of Jerusalem, just kicking a stone along the road, you know, miles away in his thoughts, not thinking about the stone, but thinking about, about how wrong things are and how bad things are and how awful he feels and how much he, he's tempted to go over and all of this kind of stuff. And it's all swirling around until the stone clatters against the fence post and he looks up and realizes he's come to the tabernacle. Okay, the tabernacle was, was the tent. It was like the, the precursor to the temple that they built in Israel. But basically, it was like the dwelling place for God. God, in a special way, put his presence right there in the midst of his people in the tent we call the tabernacle. And, and Asaph had come to the tabernacle. And so in verse 17, it says that, that, that it, the whole thing was grievous to him 
until I came into the sanctuary of God. It's an interesting thought for us if we're trying to make sense of feelings. It's so easy to be so convinced that what we feel equals the reality because it's based on evidence. But the truth is that none of us watch our lives from a distance on a video screen. We watch our lives from inside. Right? We are right under the circumstances. We are right in the midst of our feelings. And if we want to understand clearly what reality really is, then it's only possible when we come to God. When we start to see things in light of who he is, in light of what he has communicated with us, in light of all the truth of God's word and the, the truth of, of who he is, a God who would dwell in the midst of his people. For us today, we might say a God who would choose to come in the person of his son to go to the cross, to die for us, to rise from the dead and to be preparing a place for us so that he can come back and take us to be with him. In light of who God is, we can start to understand the reality in which we feel in which we swim, in which we live. Our problem as humans is that we're always so convinced that what we feel is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, as if we independently can know exactly what's going on. The truth is we can't. And what seems so real may not be real at all, or it may not be the whole truth. And if we want to have a, a clearer perception, then it's only by coming to God that we can get that. So what comes next? From verses 18 down to 22, he's suddenly seeing things clearly. He's recognizing all these people, the drug dealers, you know, the wicked, the arrogant, the prosperous, their prosperity, their wealth, even their health, the, the fact that they're getting away with it, he suddenly realizes how temporary that is. He remembers that there is a God who is going to judge everybody. There is a God and there is a clock and it is ticking. And, and suddenly he knows that they're the ones who in a moment are going to slip and they're going to slip to destruction. It's a, it's a reality that's so different from what he felt in the first part of the psalm. But then he looks back. And this is what I want us to notice as we're thinking about feelings. He looks back in verses 21 and 22 to the way he was before. He says, When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. I wonder if you've ever experienced that. Have you ever done something and then afterwards had a sense of clarity that means you cannot even begin to fathom how you could have been so dumb in the first place. You ever been there? I know I have. Like, how could I have been so stupid? At the time, it made so much sense. At the time, it felt so right. But with hindsight, how stupid was I? How wrong was I? It may be even people were telling you and warning you and trying to get your attention, but you were like a stubborn mule, like a beast, determined to do what you were determined to do. I think most of us have been there, haven't we? It's, it's interesting to me that 
that that confused reality that seems so overwhelming and so definitely right at the time, once we come back to God, once we spend time in his word, once we see things with his eyes, suddenly the mists can clear and it can become so incredibly clear to us. Just as an aside, I wonder if maybe some of you are watching this right now and you've got this eerie sense that you're in that first part of the psalm right now. Maybe the circumstances, the pressures, the stresses, the worries, whatever it is, something has put you into a situation where you are starting to consider something. Deep down you know it's madness. You know it's destructive, you know it's wrong, maybe it's something relational uh, that you're considering doing, uh, starting or finishing, and you're thinking, no, I shouldn't do it, but, but it feels so right right now. Or, or maybe you, 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 you had problems in the past with alcohol uh, or some other substance, and you've, you've done really well, but now all of a sudden the pressure's on, and you're starting to think about, well, maybe, supermarket trip, maybe, uh, and and you're tempted, you're considering, and right now it feels like it makes sense. Let me ask you, will you look back and say, how could I have been so stupid? It feels so right, but it doesn't mean that it's right. Our feelings are given to us for a purpose, but the purpose is not to drive us to do whatever we feel all the time. Uh, just want to throw that out there because it could well be that this is the moment right now in this message that as I'm speaking to you God is speaking to you by his spirit and he's he's inviting you to come back to him and to not drift away and to not make the foolish decision that you're seriously contemplating don't put yourself in the place where you have to look back and say I was so stupid to do that Psalm 73, verses 21 and 22. It's a warning, isn't it? We don't want to look back and have to admit that I was brutish and ignorant like a beast toward you. Well, then after the, the clarity that comes in the psalm, we get to the final part. And it's tempting because the first part was so kind of negative And oh, my word, he's, he's you know, really drifting. It's tempting in the second half to just go completely triumphant. You know what I mean? Like, woohoo, everything is good, all is perfect. But I don't want us to read it that way because life doesn't work that way. And I don't think the Bible expects us to pretend that it does. Coming to God with the reality of our feelings, with the reality of our circumstances, does not fix everything. It doesn't put us into a situation where suddenly we just feel great and all is well and we're joyful and happy and there's no problems anymore. No, for Asaph, he was still seeing the prosperity of the wicked. He was still hearing the arrogant claims of people who denied God and he was still seeing them live way past a normal uh, life expectancy at that time. Now the circumstances, the things that were around him were all exactly the same as they had been hours or days before. But there's something that's different here. Verse 23, he says, nevertheless, even though all of that is true, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will receive me to glory. If God promised to fix your feelings, 
you know, if it was that simple, you just come to God and say, God, I don't have, you know, I'm, I'm feeling such and such. And, and God simply flicked a switch and you became, you know, cloud nine mountain top, super happy, super spiritual person who could just handle life. If that's the way life was, we wouldn't need God, would we? But in the midst of all the negative and difficult circumstances, in the midst of all the swirling emotions... Asaph says, nevertheless, I am with you continually. He's comforted by the presence of God. You hold my right hand. Why does God need to hold our hand unless he's taking us through something? Why does he need to give us counsel? And why do we need the hope that this life is not forever? Well, all of that is because it's not easy to be human. It's not easy to be here, but God wants to offer not only perspective, but he wants to comfort us in the midst of the struggles. So much so, I, I just love these final verses that Asaph says, verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there is nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. I may die young from a virus, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, remember back in verse 2, he, he said, you know, God is good to Israel. But as for me, I'd almost stumbled and slipped. Now he says, well, they're in trouble. But for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Go back to that car for a moment. We don't want to live our lives covering over the emotions and trying to live without them. That makes no sense. They were designed for our benefit. Equally, we don't want to stick our head through the steering wheel and ignore everything else and simply live our lives based on the lights that, that flash, the brightest. No, we need to understand them and we need to take the impulse that they give us. Let me just very briefly, as we finish, explain what I mean. We understand them in the sense that they are there to indicate to us what is going on in our heart. Our emotions indicate what is important to us and how important it is. If I open a, a birthday card and inside there's a five pound note, I'm thankful, right? I, yeah, wow, that's great. Thank you so much. I, you know, I really appreciate that. I don't go running around the house with the hat, you know, my hands in the air singing and doing knee slides. I mean, no offence if, if you give me a £5 note. That, do you know what I mean? It's, that's not a normal reaction because the value is not that great, although it's really special. But if I open an envelope and inside there's a cheque from, uh, say, the government for premium bond win, something like that, and there's a million pound cheque, I might put my hands in the air, I might even do a knee slide. Why? Because, because of what it's worth. Right? Our emotional reaction to things is an indicator of what we value and how much it is worth to us. But what are we supposed to do with that? I'm just being really brief now because of time. We're going to explore specific emotions in the coming weeks and think through some of these things. But, but here's the kind of catch-all, what are we supposed to do with it? When I'm driving the car... And a warning light starts to flash, a check engine light. It means that I am being prompted to a connection. To go and connect with my friend Sean, the mechanic, and say, Sean, I've got this light. Tell me what the problem is. How can you fix it? How much is it going to cost? It's a prompt to connect. And that's what our emotions do for us. They prompt us to reach out for connection. 
And so whatever emotions are swirling in your life right now, remember your tendency and my tendency as humans is to kind of hide when we're not feeling great. It's to retreat, to stop speaking and communicating with friends or, or maybe to still communicate but to keep them at arm's length. God created you in his image as a relator. And so when those lights flash, they're flashing to prompt you to connect. Firstly, to connect with others. At Trinity Chippenham, we want to be a community that doesn't paint on a plastic smile and pretend all is well when on the inside there's turmoil. We want to be real and we want to be vulnerable. We want to be transparent and we want to be able to say to, to specific friends, hey, I'm really struggling. Can I let you in? I'm really struggling. Can we talk about it? I'm really struggling. Can you pray for me? The emotions that we feel are there to show us what matters to us. It might be good, might be bad, but it's there for, for our benefit. But they're also there to prompt us to reach out and connect with others. And most importantly, to reach out and connect with God. A few weeks ago, we talked about Jesus, our great high priest. Hebrews chapter 4, we talked about the fact that he is a sympathetic high priest because he is tested. He was tested in every way, just like we are. He didn't sin, but it does mean that he's able to sympathize with us in our weakness, in our brokenness, uh, in the swirl of emotions that we feel. He's able to understand us. And so when you feel this week, and you will, whatever the feelings may be, whatever lights are flashing on the dashboard of your life, take them as a prompt to reach out to others and to reach out to God. Don't, don't try to suppress them. Don't try to hide them. Don't try to numb them. Don't try to distract yourself with alcohol or entertainment or whatever it is that you love the most these days. Instead, say, no, no, no. God gave me this flashing light so that I would reach out to a friend and so I would reach out to Jesus, my wonderful counselor, my sympathetic high priest, because he gets me. He understands where I'm coming from. He knows what's going on when actually I feel like I do, but I don't. And so come back next week, please join us as we carry on thinking about emotional health and spiritual health in lockdown. But let me encourage you too, if there's something we can be uh, praying for for you, if you want to reach out to somebody and you don't know who, email us, info at trinitychippenham.org. Don't try to go it alone. Don't try to bury the feelings and press on because that's not the way we were designed. 